Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, on the line now is uh, Justin LaPera. He is the director of a, a new Husker football documentary. It's called Day by Day, The Rise. It's, uh, it's a two-part documentary film series about the 1990s Nebraska Cornhuskers uh, dynasty led by Coach Osborne. It's uh, going to debut May 12th here in Lincoln. And, man, I am fired up to dig into this thing. You watch the trailer. You go to the website, daybydaymovie.com. There's a ton more information there. But, Justin, first of all, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me. How are you, pal? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Doing great. You know, I, I think there's so many different directions I want to go with this, but I think sometimes – I want your background real quick because obviously you had two former Huskers working on this project with you, but I'm just curious what, like, give me your background and your your thoughts or your knowledge level on Nebraska and the 90s football dynasty that was going on in Lincoln, like, before you started filming. Give me a little bit on your background because I think that's it's interesting to kind of start there. Yeah, so... I grew up in uh, Loveland, Colorado, and my uh, football coach was Tony Davis. Okay. Um, he was he was our offensive coordinator, so I actually played football with Josh Davis back in high school. So we were always good friends. Um, I entered into the film industry, but prior to that, growing up in Colorado, I was um, a diehard uh, Colorado fan. And if you grew up in the '90s as a Colorado fan, there was one team that always kept. Colorado out of a national championship run, and that was the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So as a fan, you knew a lot about Nebraska, um, and you also had a, a ton of respect for Tom Osborne and what he was doing over there. Um, but that's how I really got, got fascinated with Nebraska's, you know, it, it, watching them through all those years and then learning uh, more about the stories of what was going on behind the scenes. So I always thought this would be a great story to tell. And then with Josh having played there, Tony being a legend that played there as well. Um, you know, I, I thought, wow, we actually have some connections here. Maybe we can make this thing really happen. Um, prior to that, I was working in LA um, doing film. So I've been doing uh, documentary film work for about 15 years now, um, primarily with sports production. So this was always something that was kind of on the back of my mind. It's something I always wanted to do. And we were able to just kind of put it together by Josh Davis coming on board to help facilitate that, as well as Mark Brungart, who also played for Nebraska. And so um, the three of us were able to kind of put this thing all together and then brought in my wife, Deirdre, who's our uh, executive producer that handles basically the management of the production. So it's a small group of us with a dream project doing this thing um and so that yeah just kind of came together there and and josh lined up all the interviews and with that what's important about that is um the interviews that we got are pretty it's pretty much anybody that we could get um that was a part of the program back then in some way and you have to kind of be 
in with that fraternity of people in order to pull all these people together and to get Tom Osborne involved. So that was very critical in this. And that's what kind of really makes this special is right. we wanted it to be told by Nebraska fans. Or I'm sorry, we wanted to be told by Nebraska players, the players that actually lived it and the coaches that lived it. Um, and not so much me. And so we went through over 50 interviews to get this thing told and, and to hear really kind of behind the scenes, the stories you haven't heard. Some of them you have, um, but a lot of them are what went on behind the scenes that these guys really didn't want to talk about back then during that time when they were being interviewed that now they were w willing to share more of some of the things that went on amongst all this adversity that they had to go through in order to get those national championships. Yeah. You know, it, Justin, it's interesting. If, it almost feels like, you know, being a guy I've born and raised in Nebraska, grew up in Lincoln in the nineties. Uh, so, I mean, this is, I mean, I was immersed in it and there's felt like there's been this reluctance to, to have a documentary type of film made on this dynasty. And I think it's, I, I I think you having a bunch of former Huskers had to be integral in getting everyone comfortable in telling this story because this is such an important – I mean, in some ways, this is like what defines the state, right? Like, you talk to – the level of pride people have in what took place with this football program in particular from, you know, 94 to 97 is, is something that I think a lot of the players, if they were going to do it, they wanted everyone on board and they wanted it done right. Did you get the sense that there was almost like, well, I'll do it if he'll do it. If he's talking, then I'll talk. If I will, you know, like there had to have been, because I've just always been surprised that there's, no one's been able to get this, a documentary like this done yet. Right. Well, I think with Tom Osborne, wanting to be involved and jumping on as our very first interview that helped a lot. Yes. Um, Cause Tom, you know, his, his big thing and um, which we promised him we would do is he just wanted to make sure the story was told accurately. Um, he's had been approached in the past by different networks and he just says, you know, basically he's worried that it'll get fabricated. And really with this story, you don't need to fabricate anything. It's, it's an amazing story, but I think, it's that thing that that theme that you'll notice in, in this two part series is the I don't want to let Tom coach down. And I think there's a little bit of that when it came to when we were asking these guys, I'm sure J Josh could probably speak more to that. But I'm sure part of his pitch was, hey, you know, Tom Osborne would probably really like you to be a part of this. I'm sure it was a big part of the pitch for these guys to maybe right. uh, want to jump on board. Why? Uh, so you mentioned it's two parts. Um Outside of just kind of maybe length of time, because I'd imagine you had just hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of footage, and you you got to kind of skim it down a little bit. Outside of just the length, did it feel like because part one is is about the way I understand it, and you can kind of expand on this is about kind of the 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 rise and the journey for Tom Osborne to win his first national championship in 1994, and then part two is that kind of staying on the mountaintop, and then the the two titles that then followed in '95 and '97. Did it did there feel like there was a clear separator to the story to you after that '94 title? Yeah, absolutely. That's that was a big part, like you mentioned on the length, but yeah, that was a huge part of why it needed to be two, a two parter, and I. I almost hate calling it a two-parter, even though that's what it is, because it's really two very different movies, um, and that the, the stories and the themes are very, very different. And it's like you said, so the first one is very focused on the expectations of winning that national championship and what those expectations, uh, how they 
played into the team and coach Osborne winning that first national championship and having to do it with an insane amount of adversity. And it's a very team centric type of film. The second one is, you know, now you're that dominant program, you're on top. And then there's, it changes to, there's again, the expectations, but then the expectations almost get too far out there where the, when there's a dip in 96, yeah, it's like the world's ending. Yes. Um, and, and there was so many other factors, uh, a lot of off the field incidences started happening. And I think a big part of that was spotlight was on these players and these players are now mega superstars internationally. And so you had that factor in while you have this coach who's trying to lead the team with integrity. And now you have all these outside influences now affecting your program. And not only that, you have the outside media challenging the program, the integrity of the program and the coach. And so all these other factors started to play and it, it took a unified effort of players to come together not for the team necessarily. I know for the team for sure, but more so for coach Osborne and then sending him out the right way. And so it's a very different kind of story. And it just, it go, it speaks to more of the impact of what co- coach Osborne meant to the state and to the, into the program and to the, the sport of college football. How, how far, you know, so on, on this, on, on my podcast, me and a former Husker, Bo Rude, we do uh we, we do something we call Husker Classic Recaps, where we'll watch an old game and then we'll do a kind of a podcast like recapping the entire game. And we've done the 83 national title where Tom Osborne goes for two, doesn't get it. We've done, obviously, the 93 Florida State loss where you have the, the Byron Bennett missed kick. And it's, I guess, how far back did you go in terms of telling that, that, that story arc to getting to 94? Because it is pretty amazing that Tom Osborne, it's funny with the benefit of hindsight of looking at it now, like Tom Osborne was known as the coach that couldn't win the big one. Like that's what he was known for heading into that national title game in 94 against Miami. Like, I guess how far back did you go? Because I just, I'm, I've become as, as a Nebraskan, I've become like endlessly fascinated with, with that journey, really kind of starting in the 83 game, going for two and missing it all the way leading up to the 94 national title against Miami. Yeah, I mean, that's – I don't want to give too much yeah, away, but right. yeah, for sure, um, you know, it goes to the beginning. In order to tell that story of what that national championship means to Coach Osborne, to the program, and to the state, you have to start to the very beginning, yes. which is when he took over as head coach and the expectations that were on his shoulders, which is also the hesitancy he had in becoming the head coach was uh you know he knew what the expectations were going to be but we start there that's that's really where it starts because unless you understand how close and how much angst had been building to that 94 season it really doesn't mean as much as you know if you were to just start maybe even 83 you got i think you got we had to go all the way back to right to 73 really to tell tell that story of what he had been going through and how much build there had been for this expectation to win. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, first of all, you know, that 83 game, 
I mean, a lot of people, the 83 team was on the precipice of being considered one of the greatest college football teams, if not the greatest college football team of all time, but they lose. Like, I just don't know if people understand how close, and then obviously in the 93 Florida State game, Husker fans will understand this, but it's, man, when you rewatch it, that fi- the final five minutes of that game is, is wild. Like, wild doesn't even put it into perspective where they literally, they, they have a title, they lose it, they have a title, then lose it again. Like, it's, it is... It's amazing to see just how close they were so many different times. So it's cool that you're going to go because I, I agree with you. Like you can't probably you couldn't start the dock with the even you can't even start with the with the Florida State loss. Like you you got to It's there's a there's such a build up to that Miami title that you have to tell the whole story for to understand the gravity of that moment. Right. You know, and it's just when you in when you got to part two, um, did. Now, having the value of gaining everyone's perspective, did it feel like for everyone else that getting to the mountaintop or staying on the mountaintop was more challenging? Or is that kind of maybe like the crux of the questions in some ways? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think when they got to the top, you know, they just, they they wanted it so, from what they, they said was that they wanted it so bad that, it wasn't like, oh, let's celebrate and we're going to enjoy this national championship. They were in the gym. Grant Wistrom talks about they were in the gym getting ready for that 95 season immediately after that game. They were like, you know, it was kind of like Matt Hoskinson talks about this. It was like throwing a, a, a chunk of meat into a tiger cage. You know, right. it's like they, they, they we got a taste of it and we just wanted more. Um, and so. And then what happens in that season is is a lot of the things behind the scenes yeah. are what really pushed them to that dominant level. There was a, a major chip on their shoulder um, with media and a lot of false things being said about them that that really kind of pushed them over. So, I, you know, that's a good question as far as if it was more difficult. I would I would say that definitely from what I experienced from the interviews and stuff, getting there seemed to be a lot more difficult than when we got there. But then the expectation of staying there, um, as Scott Frost will talk about in his interviews, you know, is so unrealistic. (laughs) Yet they were all in belief that they could keep doing it. Justin, I, I, you know, you brought it up a little bit ago. And, you know, sometimes you don't know if your memory gets distorted or it gets embellished over time. But I do literally remember I would have been 12 or 13 years old when Nebraska lost to Arizona State in 96. And it felt like, like you're not exaggerating when you say like, the, it felt like the world was ending here. You know, you just got undefeated in 94, kicked everyone's you-know-what 95 undefeated. I'm, I'm so glad, because I'd imagine that was a huge moment it, for, because then there were a lot of people that were doubting Frost at that time like I think I think that probably was an interesting that that had to have been an interesting the 96 team had to have been an interesting one to delve into in part two a little bit absolutely and and you know it's it's great we did get to sit down with Scott Frost about that season and he's very open and honest with what he went through during that time um and yeah I mean you don't have the great story without that unfortunate season yes um and that's what really made makes movie too incredible is is you get to the top but then that drop and what that did and and how they responded was what was so important in that 
in that 97 season because they had their backs against the wall. Just like in 94, there's, you know, there those two seasons, I think when people revisit that, they're going to understand like, well, they're, they shouldn't have even had a chance at a national championship. They had so many things backed up against them and they just kept making it happen. Um, and that's, that's what's fascinating with this first, this first movie is that is, it, I think a lot of people forget, they remember the Miami game. They don't remember going down to your third string quarterback, yeah. which is a walk-on going yep. up against Kansas state, who's ranked 17th in the country and doesn't look to be slowing down, you know? So, and then to have to go against Colorado, who's got Rashawn Salam and Cordell Stewart there, and you're playing with Brooke Barrier, who's still, you know, kind of on the men, you know, getting better from his injury. And just playing lights out. It's just, it's just incredible what happened there. And so when you revisit that, you go, wait, how did, I mean, they really, they had everything against them and they somehow still found a way to, to win it. The Dick Bob podcast is brought to you by Pella windows and doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. By Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And I, we're getting in the weeds here of part two, but I mean, even, even uh, you know, the parallels even to, to then to 97 is like the Missouri game. You know, the, right. the they were, I mean, you have the infamous Davison catch and just, you know the two the two minute drill leading up to that, where to me that's the that's the defining moment of Scott Frost's career. Like when Frost takes the field on that in the in at the end of regulation, like that's Scott Frost's legacy on the line to me because they had to win that game to get to the national title. And yeah, the ninety that the ninety seven season and the ninety four seasons in in the pursuit of getting there, man, were there some moments where they really they really. I know after the fact, it seems like it was smooth sailing, but man, they had to grind, whether it's self-imposed adversity or various things from the outside working in or just tough games itself. It was a, it was a journey. It was a journey. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of that motivation in that final season was for Osborne, and obviously they didn't know at the time that he would be leaving that yeah. year. Um, and in fact, Coach was planning on leaving in 96 and then uh, decided to come back because of Grant and um, Jason Peter coming back and that kind of changed. Yeah. He, he, uh, he decided to stay. So, but there's still just something about that season that's moving those guys in that direction. And then obviously when they hear the news is that he is going to be stepping down or retiring from, from the head coaching job, then it becomes, you know, not only do they go, they're going up against Peyton Manning and this team should be very well matched up against them. And they just oh, lights out right. all the motivation in the world. And it was, it was, I think a lot of that was for, for coach Osborne. You know, one of the things in watching the, 
the trailer and then and listening to 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 you talk about it that's interesting is like one of the things that was unique in the last dance the bulls jordan documentary was i'd never seen uh documentary filmmakers hand hand a subject an ipad and say here listen to what this guy had to say and then you get the reaction to it live like i think that's a unique thing one of the unique things i think you did is these round table discussions where instead now you have a lot of one-on-one interviews, obviously, but it looks like you have these roundtables where you you put four players or three players or however many it is, and you kind of let them go. Did that end up maybe being the most fascinating stuff with those roundtable discussions with the players? Oh yeah, yeah. You could have. I mean, those roundtables would go, you know, anywhere from two to three hours. I think one of them even went close to four, and you could you could put that on TV, and and that would hold itself. You know, it right. Was, absolutely incredible when they would go back and forth from the little arguments they might have over different scenarios to, you know, one of the older guys kind of filling in the younger guys on like, Oh, I've never heard that about what happened. And specifically like Corey Dixon talking to some of the cluster Johnson, those guys about the 93 game um, against Florida state, you know, and the, the kickoff and, yep. you know, that got, that got ter- called back and, and what that meant to him you know, and the impact that had on him. But then the funny stories you put in Dwayne Harris with <laughs> uh, Jay Foreman and, uh, and Mike Rucker, and you get some amazing stories. Uh, again, sometimes Dwayne Harris telling the younger guys, like, this is the stuff, but, but hearing from them, like, yeah, you were the guy that used to pound on us. Right. And we, you were the guy that we were scared of, you know, in the locker room. And so just getting those dialogues back and forth, it was, it was really fun just to hear what they had to say. And, um, yeah, it was. I could go on and on right. about those, no, uh, those You know, I um, you brought up that whole thing. I don't want to let Coach Osborne down because that had to be a big part of something that permeated throughout that locker room. Because I because I am always fascinated, Justin, by the the juxtaposition or contrast of you have the soft spoken, stoic, doesn't curse Tom Osborne with how his teams would kind of just rip your head off, right? Like, they usually kind of say teams are an extension of their coach. And while there are definitely elements of Tom Osborne riddled into that, that, the fabric of that team, the execution, the details, the attention to detail, all those kinds of things, the personality of the team, did you feel like it matched the personality of Tom Osborne? Like, I always found that fascinating from the outside looking in, how I don't know how much those two things aligned, but they they worked like yin and yang or something. That is – that is it was extremely fascinating because that was the one thing I talked to a lot with the guys about in the roundtables, just kind of asked them about this. Like, how does this work with Coach? Because you have – you know, they're going to tell you stories about, you know, just every day there was a fight at practice. And – doing full pads, full speed, quarterbacks can get hit. That was Osborne's philosophy is like, you know, you're playing, you're playing full speed all the way up to these games so that when you get to the games, you're you're almost, it's almost easier than the practice that you just had. Um, They were extremely physical. Uh, You know, no one had, you know, a yellow, you know, no quarterback was, uh, you know, untouchable couldn't touch yeah, yeah yeah right. they were all like even scott's like it was every day and he said you know he said that was osborne that was like you know your quarterbacks can get hit you know this is full on and and so he it's interesting right because he de- definitely has that kind of that soft demeanor and he definitely isn't has that but there's this competitive 
side that Mike Osborne actually is going to get into yeah. about his dad. And in that competitive, I think how he ran his practices was very, very much different than, uh, than what you would think in the physicality of it. Right. And I think that what, but that was led by him and obviously um, McBride and some, and sure. Coach Brown, and the other coaches. What was the, uh, the most emotional interview was what to you? Was there one subject or one topic? Was it Brooks' death? Was it talking to Turner about Brooks' death, Turner Gill? Like, what was what was maybe the the most emotional thing, or maybe surprisingly emotional thing? Yeah, um, Brooks' death was definitely a big one. Yeah, for for uh, Coach Brown and, and Turner Gill, um, having been really close with him and coached him, um, as well as Coach Osborne. Um, that, that definitely is, is an obvious one. The impact of, um, what happened to Riley Washington was actually fascinating as well. Um, and that was hard to not tear up at times with the story he's telling you of the impact that he went through just from the media and everything that went, came down on him for something he was falsely accused of and diving into that story. And he was incredible enough to to open up and tell us everything that went on with him uh in regards to you know him getting you know stepping away from the team um that's another one that stands out and definitely i think um you're gonna hear the guys get emotional at different times over different topics what's really incredible is that 93 game um yeah some of your biggest and baddest dudes are tearing up if not just i mean waterfalls uh coming down and that would be you know with dwayne harrison and troy dumas and uh and even some other guys just when you get into that game the pause to conduct yourself to make sure you don't tear up or right. don't you know so you don't tear yeah. up whereas i think some of the other guys were just more open to being vulnerable in that that place but that definitely was a very very emotional surprisingly how emotional that game was but that is the catalyst really when you see how emotional they get still about that 93 game that 93 season yeah um it's amazing that is you you can feel it you understand the catalyst of how motivated and how focused they were to getting that championship did you this is maybe a tough question to answer but like after after listening and studying this this dynasty and and what took place at Nebraska in the nineties does does that does the blueprint of how Nebraska did it is it replicable to today because that's kind of the crux Justin of a lot of the discussions around here amongst Nebraska media and fans of like trying to recreate that time you know there are certain things that like are timeless and like oh you could you can just take that that plan that blueprint and boom apply it to today and it's off and running and sometimes things are like just are solely worked at that time like does it feel are like when you watch this do you do you sit there and go man you could I don't know why people don't take this and and apply it to today I'm sure there's probably elements that you can and cannot but how would you look at that yeah I think some of the philosophies and definitely some of the elements but yeah a lot of it the guys will tell you um that you can't replicate t today. Yeah. And the reason for it is the physicality of practices and the demands that the players put on each other and the demands that the coaches put on the players, things that the rules have changed so much with the NCAA. And I think coach Frost would 
would love to implement the way that they used to practice. And he even says, you know, he's not, he can't, they, they're not allowed to practice the same way that they were then. Um, and I don't know all the details of the rules and stuff, right. but I know that was a big theme was, you know, that, that, uh, you know, but there is one thing that you can take away from this that is interesting that I hope younger viewers would watch is that um, another big theme in this is that there's so many players, including Lawrence Phillips to Tommy Frazier to Brooke Barringer, these huge impact players that were very, very close to leaving. And with the you know transfer yep. portal now, I mean, they'd be gone. And that's the thing is they didn't and they stayed and they built something. Not only did they build something, but their legacies are were created through that. Um, and so just that's a big theme. And so, yeah, there are some things that you probably could replicate, but it would take a commitment from these student athletes to, to stay when things are tough. You know, I'd imagine because of just the inherent nature of, of the title of the documentary that we probably won't go down this road, but like, are we going to see anything on the 25 years that followed the, the last title in 97? Because I do think like, a part of what makes this period, this dynasty for Nebraska, even more remarkable, more amazing, is the 25 years that has followed it of, you know, no conference title. You know, you, you get a conference title in 99, but you get one conference title, and then that trophy case has been empty, and it's been a revolving door of coaches and, and athletic directors and all that stuff. Like, because I think that's a that's kind of also a part of the story that that is that props up the 90s run too. Right. No, it doesn't. We def we don't touch on that um, a lot just because there was so much. We we covered a lot of that. Yeah. But the, the problem was, you know, we have, you know, our first initial cut was six hours long. Man. <laughs> and that was like, this is good. And it was six hours. And so it's it's like, okay, well, we got to cut this. We got it down to four, but that's about as, as far as we could get. But that tells you how much we had to cut of things that we would have loved to have kept over, you know, two hours worth of content. Um, so yeah, that's just something that we didn't, you know, there was just when we, you know, it really ends and I don't want to give away the ending, yeah. but it ends with, you know, I, I hope what people get a, when there's a final shot in the movie and I won't tell you what it is, but I hope at that moment, and there's some things that are said, but in that moment, you, that should be the moment you're like, aha, uh -huh, I see what this movie was all about. And not only that, I hope the viewer actually can take a lot from it and it'll hit you in a certain way. And it'll, it'll hopefully hit people in different ways. But there is a shot, and, I, and it's the reason why it's the last shot. And I think it just speaks to – it leaves you with this is what this whole story was all about. Mm. And, uh, yeah. So, but, yeah, and, and so, unfortunately, yeah, we don't get too far – well, past Coach Osborne. Well, the way you just you just gave me goosebumps with that little little tease of how the the final shot. So I guess that's maybe a perfect way to kind of wrap this thing up here. Um, Justin, man, as a Nebraskan and as someone that just you know loves the program, I am so I'm so excited about this. Uh, I, I it, the trailer looks incredible. Did, lay out how people can see the movie. It looks like the, the debut is May 12th in Lincoln. I guess lay out how people can get tickets, where they can see it. What do they need to do? Yeah, so definitely go to daybyday.com. That's where you can get the tickets. And definitely get your tickets soon because we're going to be showing it on May 12th. 
13th and 14th. So Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then you're not going to be able to see it for a while. Um, This is something that we're releasing specifically to Nebraska for Nebraska. It's, it's done in a different format. This is supposed to be a very fun social kind of event where you're with fellow Husker fans watching the greatest Husker teams and, and reliving those glory days as well as hopefully bringing your kids so they can see how great Nebraska was. So they can understand why you live and breathe Nebraska and where that comes from, where that history is from. And so it's supposed to be a very social kind of event where, you know, really people just kind of connect and have fun. And, and so that's why we do it in this theater because Nebraska fans for, for everything that they've gone through with the program, and with this story, it needed to be told in a big marquee type of place, not in some just random movie theater. That's why it's at the Rococo. And that's why there's the whole red carpet experience. And we really wanted to bring the best kind of experience possible for the fans for this. So definitely, definitely, if you guys can make it down, definitely make it down. because It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll be able to see a lot of the players visit with some of these guys about the movie and then we will get up on Thursday for a Q&A and with me with a bunch of the players and we'll we'll answer questions specific to different things about the movie or stories that maybe right. they wanted to hear a little bit more about um, so definitely come out and check it out it's it's going to be a, a really fun weekend daybydaymovie.com make sure you go check it out you can get your tickets there there's more information on uh, the show times and all that stuff uh, Justin LaPera Justin man Thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait to see it, and I appreciate you taking some time out to preview it on my podcast, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Nick. A Huda Media Production.